Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Westcott demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or Whatever Movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking a movie from 2000, Christopher McQuarrie's directorial debut. In honor of Christopher McQuarrie Month, The Way of the Gun. And yet still, not without some contempt. I could hear it in your opening. You're projecting contempt on my review of The Way of the Gun. You gave me two options for when to record this episode. You said 7.30 a.m. or 3 p.m. And I was like, ooh, 7.30, 7.30, because I do not want to spend the rest of the day researching this movie. Well, then tell us. This movie skipped off me like a rock off a pond. And like a rock off a pond, it just kept skipping. And then it ended in a big, messy splash. And it defeated the whole purpose of skipping to begin with because it was going to end up in the pond anyway. (laughs) Or in a waterless fountain. Yeah, full of glass, which he didn't look and should have (laughs) thought to look. And then he did an awful lot of rolling and crying. He had been shot prior to that. In the leg, that was 30 minutes before. John McClane took two feet full of glass better than he took some glass in his forearm. Yeah, he really did not like that. So, um... Did you watch this in one viewing? Yes, had to. Kelly Ray was really resistant because I was like, hey, we're going to go out and watch The Way of the Gun. She's like, oh, that's totally a Western. And I was like, no. And she's like, then it's totally a gangster movie. It turns out it was kind of a gangster Western. (laughs) Called it. The Way of the Gun takes the cake in terms of most repeat viewings or most attempted viewings. Are you kidding me? This one? Nope. I'm actually yep. shocked after some movies that we were going to discuss that you couldn't simply couldn't get through. This one, you made it through after repeated attempts? Uh, it took about a half a dozen false starts, maybe more. I literally had to rewatch the beginning, which was so painful. Oh, man. In order to remember what was happening. Yeah, the only thing keeping this movie alive and keeping it in the public uh, public eye is it's uh, having been embraced by the gay community. And uh, they watch this at oh. the start of every Pride Month. They do? No, not at all. What? Not at all. Oh. Because it was unnecessarily homophobic for like 10 straight minutes. And then they had the conversation in the sperm bank that was complete. I legitimately thought that they were cruising style, dog day afternoon style, gay, like low rent mobster types. And he was like appropriately, I thought, overreacting and like insisting on like grilling the dude who who casually asked him if he was gay as he was about to donate sperm. Oh, you mean Benicio Del Toro was personally offended by the sperm question? Yeah. The homosexuality question? He was like, yeah, what, are you gay or whatever? And like just on and on and on and on. I was like, oh, they're gay. And and then they're they're, they're being confronted and they feel offended, right? And that's why he went on his little tirade. Not at all. Just like, okay, we did that. Really awkward opening. Let's get to the gangster stuff. They have some opinions, these two. They like to wax philosophic all throughout this film. You know, the sperm bank interview is no exception. I do think that the sperm bank interviewer was gay. It was a subtle come on to Benicio del Toro. Was it? I think so. 
All I know is that dude was the most important dude in the movie, I guess. The sperm bank interviewer? Yeah, because off-screen, mumbling, background exposition, the most important bit of the entire movie, was conveyed by him. And Kelly Ray was like, are, are we supposed to be listening to this? The mix was bad, and he's in the background, <laughs> a million dollars, and a million dollars, and she's pregnant something 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 and we're like oh this is the whole plot of the movie that we're supposed to be listening to in the background oh when mr so-and-so and mr such-and-such are overhearing the conversation about juliet lewis yeah parker and longbow so uh jumping way ahead the whorehouse which is the only way to put it shootout is the same location as Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And you're like, oh, okay. Except Parker and Longbow are the actual names of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. And I don't, if I saw Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, it's been a really long time. So I don't know if they sit around and wax philosophical. It was like somebody put their hacky Tarantino ripoff script through a philosophical AI filter and was like, let's punch it up. <laughs> <laughs> there, there were definitely some Tarantino-esque moments. Was it a tribute to Tarantino? I mean, this isn't long after some of Tarantino's biggest hits. He's got three movies under his belt by this time. Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and... And Jacqueline Brown. Our review is available at orwhatevermovies.com. It's a little early to be paying homage to Tarantino, but it sounds like there were nods to much earlier films, uh, classics. Oh, for sure. Mostly Westerns. And, and people called it a Peckinpah-esque aesthetic, which is a mouthful. It definitely felt like a Western in the end, but prior to that, it was definitely like in the club scene or whatever. It felt very 2000. It felt 90s soap opera to me. And I felt like the lighting was even suggesting that they were aware of that. Like there's melodrama for sure, but the way they lit this felt very studio-esque. Like yeah. the hotel room was very bright. Even the um, Mexican cowboy bar was bright. <laughs> What's the opposite of noir? Because this is definitely a gangster, like noir type picture, but it's super brightly lit. It's a gangster blanc. Right. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> So what does the way of the gun mean? I have to assume that this is the path that they've chosen. It was obvious that they weren't going to be able to take the same paths as other people. So they decided to forge their own path and etc. They just chose a life of low rent crime and hustle. And apparently also it means technical adherence and precision to... Gunplay, it's like they felt like they were law enforcement or SWAT or something where they're covering each other and clearing rooms and all the angles and stuff. And I've got you clear. And then you run like an idiot toward the door while someone's covering the other dude. <laughs> Very former military-esque. Right? But they weren't. They were low-rent thugs at best. So Christopher McQuarrie, I think the reason that Tom Cruise picked this dude up is because he certainly has a lot of directorial promise. The next movie he directed, which was Mission Impossible uh, Rogue Nation, that was his second director. Anyway, but basically Christopher McQuarrie is not really a director, and I never considered him as such because while we're honoring him for his writing, The Usual Suspects and The Way of the Gun, and a bunch of the Mission Impossible movies and a few other shows, uh, great Tom Cruise movies like uh, The Edge of Tomorrow, he, he seems like to be very technically oriented. And that's what these guys were with no real basis. 
Like, why would they do the trigger discipline thing where they don't have their fingers on the trigger unless they intend to kill? And they do all the coverage and they have the stances, the military stances they have in the firing position have names. But they're just dudes. Remember in the town when Ben Affleck was like, I don't like this one. This this truck doesn't feel good. Let's get the one where the guy doesn't think he's special forces and tuck his pants into his army boots and wear the vest on the outside. <laughs> These guys seem like that type of dude. They get like a little handgun or something. And all of a sudden they're like, let's learn how to point and shoot and how to slide the rack with one hand and change magazines with our teeth. Why? How did they even get that? Did they have a, a machine gun? How did they even get the machine gun? I have no idea. Like they just pulled that out of their armored vehicle. Yeah. And I think that it's a Napoleonic complex of sorts. Benicio Del Toro, that's just who he is. Even like in his 20s, he just looks dirty and like he hasn't gotten any sleep. But Pooh Bear with the facial hair over there, he was trying super hard to be tough. Uh... Were these in his Reese Witherspoon days? I think so. I think this is around the like Cruel Intentions era or whatever. And apparently he lobbied hard for this movie. Christopher McCory was resistant. And he was like, I'm going to be in this movie because I'm an actor, not a movie star. And he does his little his little butthole mouth, like pouty pucker thing. Uh, what was with the accent? I don't know. <laughs> that was like the... Don't got to be deep voice to be a tough guy. He's he's a real tough guy. But it was all mush mouth. Like, was it intended to be a, a specific from a specific region? I felt like it was Italian Bronx kind of vibe, but I could be completely off. <laughs> I, I, I was just like, is that how Ryan Felipe speaks? Is he <laughs> does is he playing a character with a speech impediment? <laughs> and it's not like Benicio La Toro is known for his enunciation. <laughs> Although in this movie, he's like crystal clear compared to Ryan Felipe or, or or compared to Fenster. But it doesn't matter. Part of the mystery is not being able to understand what they're saying. Kelly Ray is like, you always turn on the subtitles, which is not true. But I definitely jumped at the chance to turn on the subtitles here. But this is Christopher McQuarrie's cloak of mystery is that he wants it to be unintelligible and to deliver really important information in the background, all mumbled. And then you have to weave through the philosophy. It also feels like there's a lot of mind reading going on between characters. There are a lot of heavy, loaded looks and glances. And also, there was a lot of lines that were delivered clearly. And even if I heard them, I didn't understand what they meant. No, I didn't understand what was happening at all. So can we talk about this tangled web that he weaves between these characters? So Parker and Longball, they're two-bit crooks, but in the end are trying to save Robin? Why are they going in there? They were talking about leaving. They were like, we're just going to leave. And he's like, okay. And then she's got the shotgun on the floor and she's blasting holes through the door. And she's like, leave. And they're like, well, now we're not going to leave. And then she gets <laughs> taken and they go to save her. To what end? Why were they going there? I have no idea. So we're, we're introduced to them because they overheard a random conversation and go and check out this pregnant lady with a million dollars or whatever. And then the other characters are introduced and they just happen to fall into their own web or Christopher McQuarrie's web. Everyone has a twisty turny. 
Yeah, because Tay Diggs and Nikki Cat, the two bodyguards in suits, you can tell they're not low rent because they wear matching suits. And they've got like an officer, <laughs> like a an ex-military officer's kind of discipline, the same as the other two dudes, but they're dressed better. And they decide that they're going to double-cross their employer. And if the girl has to die, whatever, all they do is deliver the baby and everything is fine. And they make off with the money. So they were double-crossy. Well, but also Tay Diggs has got his baby mama because the millionaire's wife only has eyes for him. Mm. And apparently, I'm assuming that she is pregnant with Jeffers' baby when she announces at the very end of the movie that she's pregnant. You know, I, so I didn't really care. And at the end, when she said she's pregnant, I was like, well, that's the end of, the end of that movie. And I did not realize until this moment that it could conceivably have been Tay Diggs' baby after he was shot. Conceivably. In the neck. But I, 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 I kind of didn't care. I was, I knew I was supposed to be following. And when he got shot in the neck, I was like, well, there's one less thread that I have to keep up with. And then like Abel, he just wouldn't die. And he like kept blinking and looking around. And I was like, oh, he's going to try to talk. Because Abel talked for like 10 minutes. And the only time that Kelly Ray laughed in this entire movie was when he died. And I was like, his head's still moving a lot. And then he's like, actually, and they like have another conversation. Because he's not dead? You're talking about Abner, the buddy? Abner. Did I say Abel? Yeah. James Conn's buddy? Yeah, his buddy. Who was Juliette Lewis's dad? And if you look, take one look at their faces, you're like, obviously. But James Conn, for whatever reason, played her dad. And I think that's because James Conn was the get for this movie. James Conn was, was the he? Harvey Keitel for Reservoir Dogs, where you're like, I can make this movie now because Harvey Keitel is involved. He's like the Danny DeVito for Pulp Fiction, who was like the champion of Tarantino behind the scenes for a while. And you get James Caan and all of a sudden he's from The Godfather, man, and, and Misery five years before. And all of a sudden it's a bigger movie. He's a legend. And boy, did that poor man look uncomfortable. He's like, guys, this shirt is, <laughs> this shirt is too tight. And yeah. I, I pulled my neck. And I'm having a hard time, so I'm going to have to lean on stuff because for as dangerous as Sarno was supposed to be, James Kahn looked like he wasn't having fun. <laughs> he was like, one thing you got to know about me, I'm a survivor of a very bad neck injury. Oh, God. And he did that awkward old guy walk. I wonder if any of that was character. Like he I, was so messed I can't, up. No, he had whiplash like two months before they started filming <laughs> and was like, no, man, I got it. But was he? Was he Juliet Lewis's dad? Absolutely. I think that. Uh, but are you reading the looks on their faces or not? When he saw it, when he walked in during the 20 minute episiotomy or <laughs> what was it? Or the C-section? <laughs> I'm not an episiotomy. You pulled that out of your badge. Um, Literally. No, dude. What I think, I mean, I didn't know that Abner was actually Juliet Lewis's dad, which is doo 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 doo. But maybe Abner was his her dad, and Sarno was just the buddy taking care of you know his buddy's little girl. Okay, you're reading into this an awful lot, and maybe that's the case. It's something also something I also didn't consider. So as long as we're doing this, and as long as there's all kinds of technical precision, and we know that Christopher McQuarrie is a very diligent, careful dude. Uh, maybe all that applies. Then maybe you can help me out in figuring out why Nikki Cat and Tay Diggs were pointing the gun at Juliette Lewis. They, like they were covering each other as Longbow and Parker were making their exit. 
but he was pointing a gun at her. Why was he doing that? Well, at first they were pointing it at her, and then they were pointing it at the baby. Why? I, I think my theory is, which is inconsistent with their behavior later on in the movie, is that if they can't save her, then they're at least going to murder the package that the bad guys are after. I mean, it could have been that they were simply calling some kind of bluff. But later, they say multiple times that all they care about is the baby. Right, because that's their payday. I guess, no, it wasn't his kid. He was macking on the mom. Okay, but it was the doctor's kid. It was supposedly Chittick Sr.'s kid, but it was actually Chittick Jr.'s kid. And it was supposed to be the millionaire's wife's kid, but it was actually Juliet Lewis's kid. And I also wasn't clear if the Robin doctor child was like a love child or was like a revenge child. I was very unclear about that motivation, but it was clear that it was not the intended couple's biological child. And did Jimmy Kahn make it, make it possible for his daughter slash niece slash goddaughter to keep the baby? I don't in know. in the end, in silhouette, the millionaire's wife is carrying the baby. That's what she said. But Juliette Lewis No, was no, no, no. She's saying, I'm pregnant, but she was literally holding an infant in her arms in silhouette when she tells the millionaire that she's pregnant. Okay. All right. Anyway, <laughs> at that point, you were thoroughly checked out. Apparently, well, I was. I was also tired. It was eleven o'clock, but I tried, and I thought, okay, well, this is obviously a watcher. If there's little clues and stuff, and we need to pay attention, but then some stuff was just so far off the radar. I wondered if it was the point, or if it was hustle. I cannot imagine that Christopher McQuarrie, of sound presence in mind, would be like all this stuff is totally random when other things are supposed to be ascribed such importance. Oh, my God. This whole thing was important. Everything was important. Really? The the weird rolling car chase where they'd periodically hop out of the car only to get back in the car? That was important? Unlike you, I do read reviews, and I think Roger Ebert put it best when he said, I liked it. I didn't believe it, but I liked it. <laughs> oh, man. So I, I tried hard at first with the, the dialogue and stuff, and then I just kind of gave up. And the end monologue, it still doesn't make sense to me. What did they say? He asked the innocuous question, what are you going to name it? And she said, and I quote, when you think about deaf people, people who are born deaf, who've (laughs) never heard a spoken word, what do you think they call the son or their mother or their own reflection in the mirror? That's what I call it. (laughs) It's deep, bro. Yeah. I... (laughs) Here's the end. (laughs) So they're shot and you're like, did they succeed? Are they going to die in Bruce style? And Parker, um, Pooh Butt says, we don't want your forgiveness. We won't make excuses. We're not going to blame you, even if you are an accessory. But we will not accept your natural order. We didn't come for absolution. We didn't ask to be redeemed. But isn't that how it is every goddamn time? Your prayers are always answered in the order they're received. It's been like 24 hours. That doesn't mean anything to me. I kind of feel like it's like trying to make sense of like a schizophrenic's ravings. (laughs) It's just crazy making to try and unpack that. It doesn't make sense. Like, I get it. If it's delivered off the cuff, it might bounce right off you. But upon closer inspection, like the usual suspects, you would think that we would be meant to go back and interpret, extrapolate theories, uh, explanations of some of the things that are happening. And I was just like, okay. 
it's over. And she was like, I'm pregnant. And I was like, that's great. I'm going to bed. <laughs> so I don't get it either. And I question if it's intended to be God. Is this Christopher McQuarrie running wild post usual suspects Oscar win? <laughs> unreined in by a producer, unreined in by an editor. Way too much. Is this a problem of way too much control? Or is he intentionally obfuscating themes and meanings? And Or is this just a, a wildly ambitious project that got so unwieldy that nobody could really nail it down? Did you say and, obfuscating? And obfuscating. I'm going to yeah, put that why? on the list under adjudicating <laughs> and abruption. <laughs> Come on, you definitely looked those you looked those up. I also looked up Bagman. What is a Bagman and why were there so many of them? <laughs> Cuz they were all carrying bags and they were all old <laughs> and they had been doing it long enough because they were all senior citizens to have earned the respected title of Bagman. And then was it a joke on behalf of the wardrobe department to put them all in members only jackets? Cuz that shootout was really confusing i thought all of the old men were james Kahn. kelly ray said the same thing she's like they're all really old and in members only jackets i yes. guess that was the club maybe that was that was cool back was in that 2000. their uniform <laughs> he was already popping out of windows like you never knew where he might come from but then he was showing up on the bottom floor and i was like how is he teleporting and it was like three amigos they got the jackets in bulk <laughs> Uh, at a discount. And when you're like the costume designer, you mean Heather McQuarrie, Mrs. Christopher McQuarrie, the costume designer on this movie? Oh, apologies, Mrs. McQuarrie. No offense. To answer your question, I think that this, well, you, that it's, it's fair. The idea that he won an Oscar and, and, then, and then people started handing him lines of coke and stuff. And he was like, I'm a movie maker and I'm going to. And they were like, you can't direct. And he was like, I'm going to direct it. And like went all crazy. And this is him being all um, Francis Ford Coppola out in the jungle, except it's like in the Mexican desert. But to be this deliberate felt kind of self-serving. I'm going to say that Tom Cruise had to be Christopher McQuarrie's guardian angel. It's like he was at rock bottom and Tom Cruise came along and was like, I see your potential and I'm going to bring you into the fold and we're going to get you into the church and get you cleaned up and we're going to channel these talents and use them for good or whatever. Because he didn't, because I watched Usual Suspects, I was excited for The Way of the Gun. I haven't seen it in nearly a quarter of a century, but I think Christopher McQuarrie would have absolutely fizzled out. I think he needed to be reined in and Scientologized. And I don't really have basis for that. I don't think that he is a Scientologist. I'm just saying that when a movie was left fully in his hands and he got to hire the costume designer and stuff, he explains the nuances of this movie as well as they explain hearts to Juliette Lewis. It's thoroughly confusing. And she's meant to just get it and start playing. And it's it doesn't work, man. What's the name of the thing where they refer to a thing that happened previously that they just never explain? Callback? Is it? But they they talk about Baltimore and the role the doctor has. And you, you remember what happened in Baltimore. And, and they, then they never explain it. It's like Cincinnati in, in Hot Tub Time Machine. Oh, oh, oh. This is like Cincinnati. Sure. Yeah. We so said we were never going to talk about Cincinnati. So then they don't. And they talk about all the things. <laughs> they refer to a bunch of stuff, but they never actually explain yeah. what Baltimore was in this movie. There's got to be a name yeah. for that thing. Like they, yeah, there has to be a name for that device. Let's just call it a, a, a reference, a, an inside story reference. Right. And, and, and Ryan Philippi Parker with his Lord's Prayer monologue. 
about how he says has to say that prayer and then he doesn't explain the story it's incredibly frustrating and he says it with his little butthole pucker mouth and i'm like just tell me things that matter because i wanted to hang on for dear life it's like a roller coaster where you don't know where the safety handles are wow well way to dash my hopes of ever getting christopher mcquarrie to be an interview on or whatever movies podcast no way, dude. you're not a scientologist <laughs> No one knows wow, why they're there. He's not coming on now. <laughs> uh, you know what's interesting about this, though? Whether you believe it's ambitious or whether you believe it's fatally flawed or both, I can tell that you're worked up about it, like you're very active about it. It doesn't make you passive. It's frustrating you. It's activating you. Like it's actually getting you riled up. And maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the purpose. You say, you say that you deflected this movie. I mean, I can definitely say that the humor didn't land. There was a lot of stuff that was frustrating and confusing. But I feel like the opposite is true, that this has actually needled its way into you. You know that Stephen King, we discussed this before, doesn't remember writing Cujo because he was so gacked out on coke? And Ooh. he's like, that's kind of a shame because I like that book. I just don't remember writing it. And so I'm sure that Christopher McQuarrie was going through something, and I'm sure in his head, maybe he had this exact dream and he wrote it down and then like just executed it and it didn't make sense in retrospect because there's much in this movie that didn't make sense. For all their technical virtuosity, for all their military stances and techniques and, and strategies and hopping in and out of the car during chases and stuff, for all their gun discipline, they are terrible shots. Like all of these people are stormtroopers. They cannot shoot worth a damn. <laughs> I think maybe you crack the code, though, Wes. Maybe the way of gun can be explained with one word drugs. Drugs. But it wasn't that nobody even talked about drugs. The convenience store worker who had a moment with Benicia del Toro definitely on drugs. <laughs> and they were like the drug freeinest gangsters I've ever seen. Ultimately, I think that The Way of the Gun wanted to have a lot of humor. It wanted to have a lot of heart. I think that Christopher McQuarrie wanted to write complicated characters who ultimately were redeemed, which Mr. Parker alludes to, although he doesn't really explain. I think this is a toxic mixture of drugs and ambition and a curious kind of relic of Christopher McQuarrie's body of work that, you know, is maybe better left at the bottom Alone. of the ocean. This is Christopher McQuarrie Month's Piranha 2, The Spawning. <laughs> and a necessary stepping stone in his path to Top Gun Maverick and the forthcoming Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part <laughs> 1, which I think is going to be fabulous. I mean, if he if this was a means to Top Gun Maverick, then I'll take it. This is the new, sober, George Lucas-looking Christopher McQuarrie doing his thing at the highest level with the last great movie star and knocking it out of the park. And it's all the more triumphant given how far he's come. All right. Yeah. That's, a, that's one way to look at it. From being at the bottom of the film industry, <laughs> post-Oscar win in his drug haze with The Way of the Gun. And your final rating is? <clears throat> I was pretty angry at this movie. I was violently meh on this film. Profoundly blawed by the way of the gun. I, I didn't really see much intention. I saw some homage to other movies, but didn't really understand why he made the choices he made. It feels weird to give it a nope, but it made me mad. 
and there was no, there wasn't nearly enough technical skill uh, in the filmmaking to compensate. The dialogue was a mess. I guess the actors were fine. Ryan Phillippe seems like he's miscast in everything, but it just, it wasn't enough to, so there's no one that I could recommend it to. It's not like, oh, well, so-and-so likes this type of movie, so they would like this. I watched it 25, 23 years ago and was like, eh, that was a disappointing follow-up to The Usual Suspects and really never thought about it again until we focused on Christopher McQuarrie Month. And I don't want to hate it, but I kind of hate it. Do it, Wes. Do it. Given Christopher McQuarrie's great body of work and stuff that I've thoroughly enjoyed, I loved Edge of Tomorrow, and I approve of his Tom Cruise collaboration. It's a little weird that that's all he does is Tom Cruise movies, but I'm happy for where he is and who he is, and maybe, I mean, you can't like everything everyone does, right? I gotta give it a nope. I didn't feel good. I feel very personally detached from this movie right now. And I think that maybe it allows me to be objective enough to give it a boring. Um, but I, I do enjoy. I, there's some morbid enjoyment in how much this riles you up. And that's our discussion on The Way of the Gun, a movie from 2000 available on Freebie, Tubi, or Wesley's Prime account. Hit us up, <laughs> 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. We hope you enjoyed this very odd addition to our Christopher McQuarrie month here at Or Whatever Movies. Every summer we do a themed month. In the past, we've covered James Cameron, Nicolas Cage. We have 200 plus other discussions at orwhatevermovies.com or wherever you get podcasts. You can follow us at Or Whatever Movies and you can support us at Patreon by becoming a movie friend. So thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. Touchdown! On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage, behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your hosts for the, the Candle, Candle Power, Power Hour. Hour.